0: So the reading is taken from chapter 63 of Isaiah and can be found at the bottom of page 751. Look down from heaven and see from your lofty throne, holy and glorious. Where are your zeal and your might? Your tenderness and compassion are withheld from us. But you are our Father, Though Abraham does not know us, or Israel acknowledges us, you, Lord, are our Father. Our Redeemer from of old is your name. Why, Lord, do you make us wander from your ways and harden our hearts so we do not revere you? Return for the sake of your servants, the tribes that are your inheritance. For a little while your people possessed your holy place, But now our enemies have trampled down your sanctuary. We are yours from of old, but you have not ruled over them. They have not been called by your name. Oh, that you would rend rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you, as when fire sets, twigs ablaze and causes water to boil. Come down and make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You come to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. But when we continue to sin against them, you are angry. How then can we be saved? All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind our sins sweep us away. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and have given us over to our sins. Yet you, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay, you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be angry beyond measure, Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. Oh, look upon us, we pray, for we are all your people Your sacred cities have become a wasteland. Even Zion is a wasteland, Jerusalem a desolation. Our holy and glorious temple, where our ancestors praised you, has been burned with fire, and all that we treasured lies in ruins. After all this, Lord, will you hold yourself back? Will you keep silent and punish us beyond measure? This is the word of
1: the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I might have forgotten the words of the confession and the page number of the Bible reading, but gladly my my greatest fear of, of preparing the wrong Bible message has not come true yet. So not completely incompetent, I hope, I pray. Well, let's pray, shall we? Father, we've been reminded from your word this morning, that since ancient times no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you. And so would you help us this morning, be those who wait for you, and know you as the God who acts on our behalf, not because we deserve it, but because of the kind of God you are. For we ask it in Jesus' name, Amen. I'm not going to make you do this, but I wonder, I wonder if you had to tell the person who is uh, sitting next to you or near to you, just one thing that the Bible has to say about prayer, what would be your one thing? What would be the thing you reach for? What if you had to choose just one thing that the Bible has to say about prayer? What would you want to say uh, to the person near to you? Maybe it's it's a reminder of Jesus' great invitation. Pray like this, our Father. Or, 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 or perhaps it's, it's the fact that in the book of Psalms, we, we have prayers for every season of life and every emotion that we're going through. Or perhaps you immediately are drawn to what Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians about praying without ceasing. Or um, maybe Philippians chapter 4, where Paul gives a prescription uh, for when anxiety to kicks in. Pray. Or, or maybe it's just as simple as Jesus telling um, his disciples that they need, well, you just need to ask and seek and not. And, and he knows what we're like on the inside that we'll, we'll, we'll tend to hold back. And he says, whatever you ask, the Father in my name, it will be done. It will be given to you. He doesn't qualify. He just says it. Uh, for some of you, we were at the uh, prayer ministry team gathering on Tuesday night. One one thing about prayer that's really struck me recently is actually from uh, uh, somewhere you might not necessarily instinctively go to. Revelation chapter five, verse eight, where there's a picture of the throne room of God. And the the, the 24 elders around the throne are holding, we're told, these golden bowls filled with incense. And we're told that they are the prayers of God's. People precious and something that God delights in, so I might ask you over coffee at the end of the the service what your one thing uh, from the Bible about prayer is uh, but as um as Janet read these verses uh, from isaiah sixty three and sixty four for us this morning, I wonder if you noticed this is this is isaiah 's prayer we 're getting towards the final pages of Isaiah, and at this point he turns to praying. He prays, look down from heaven and see. He goes on and says, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. And I guess a question to ask him, why at this point does Isaiah suddenly turn to prayer? Well, I think it's because of what happens just a little bit earlier, a little bit earlier from our reading. Um, it's on page 750. It's in um, Isaiah chapter 62. And it's the second half of verse six and and of verse seven as well, where Isaiah says, you who call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest and give him no rest till he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. Isaiah says to God's people, give yourselves no rest and give God no rest until he's done what he's promised. And then Isaiah essentially lives that out. He models it in those verses that we just heard read. How does Isaiah model prayer? Well, the few verses beforehand, um, sort of chapter 63, verses 7 to 14, the first thing that Isaiah does in prayer is he remembers God's character. He remembers what God is like. Uh, And so picking it up in, in chapter 63, Verse 7, he says, I will tell of the kindness of the Lord, the deeds for which he's to be praised. The many good things he's done for Israel, his compassion, his kindness. uh, The fact that he became to his people their savior when they were distressed. He was distressed. So deeply did he identify with his people. uh, His presence with them, a God of love and mercy, but also a God who, who redeemed, who is strong, who carried them. And lifted them. He was their shepherd. He was the one with the glorious arm of power. Now we read that in. Um, did I spot that? Verse twelve. Uh, the one who sent his glorious arm of power to be at Moses' right hand. Uh, the God with the power who divided the Red Sea into two. The one who guided his people. All these are things that Isaiah uh, brings to mind. He brings to mind that essentially God is both compassionate and mighty. To have a true vision of the living God, the God on Trinity Sunday, we remember, who is Father, Son and Holy Spirit. To have a true vision of God, we we need to know that he is the God who is compassionate and mighty. Or it's a very simple song that I sometimes sing with my children. We sometimes sing at the 1045 here. Jesus is strong and kind. If you want to know a summary of what the living God is like, he is strong and he is kind. This is this how you know God? Is that your experience? Because this is, this is the God who makes himself known through history, through the history of God's people in the Old Testament, uh, as Isaiah say, through the Exodus, the, the great stories of old. And it's the same God who steps into history. As Jesus Christ, who has all the strength and might to say to a storm, stop. And for the storm to stop like that. To, to tell demons just to hop in, clear off. And they do. And yet using the very language from Isaiah, we're told uh, a bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. You're here this morning feeling like a bruised reed or a, a smoldering wick. Is, isn't that great? Isn't that encouragement? The one who has all that power is a God of restoration. In Jesus, we find that this character who's been interwoven through the pages of Isaiah, the promised king of David, the saving, suffering servant, the divine warrior who will conquer, appearing. And making God fully known to us. And so as Isaiah begins his prayer, he remembers God's character. As we begin our prayer and our prayers, remember God's character, strong and kind. And then remember God's promises. Isaiah prays because he knows the character of God and he knows what God has promised. Um, Listen again uh, to chapter 62, verses uh, 6 and 7. You who call on the Lord, give yourself no rest and give him no rest until what? It says, until he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. That's Isaiah just summing up all the promises that he's been speaking of in recent chapters. And if you've not been here for a few weeks, or maybe you're more like me, each week just sort of blends into the past week and it's just slightly hard to distinguish them. We can have a little recap of some of the things that God has promised, uh, including some, some preachers who were here a couple of weeks ago. And hopefully, Janet is going to make a video here on the screen, reminding us of God's promises in Isaiah. We see this warrior robed in splendor, in this robe stained crimson, red. He has crushed God's enemies, he has crushed sin that now there is a new era. The light of the Lord is upon you. The glory of the Lord is there and is shining. Salvation and hope for the poor. There will be no blindness, no captivity, no poverty, no darkness. Where there's a crown of splendor, there's a complete transformation. He replaces ashes with beauty. He replaces mourning with joy, and he replaces despair with praise. Nations are proclaiming the praise of the Lord. When nations flock to this city, it will not hurt forever. Your days of sorrow will end. Those are some of the promises that Isaiah has been speaking in the last few weeks over the last few chapters of his book. They sound great, don't they? Do we want to kind of go yes to them? Do we want to go, I want that. I want to be part of that. And just like we do, I looks around and realises they're not there yet. Now, I suspect all of you at some point have been on a long car journey. And maybe you can remember a time as a child going on a long car journey. Or you have been on a long car journey with young children in the back. Or you know people who've recently been on a long car journey with children in the back. There is one very important question that gets asked. What is it? Are we nearly there yet? Absolutely. Isaiah knows the answer to that. Are they nearly there yet? He says, chapter 63, verse 15. Look down from heaven and see from your lofty throne, holy and glorious. Where's your zeal and your might, your tenderness and compassion withheld from us? You are our father. If Abraham was around or or Jacob around, they, they wouldn't recognize us as your people. But you, Lord, are our father. Our redeemer from old is your name. He knows they're not there yet. He knows the answer, and yet he also knows God has promised that The God who's strong and kind has made these incredible promises. Isaiah knows they're not there yet. It feels like God's holding back. And it's as if Isaiah holds up a picture frame. Uh, some of you saw me walking into church with a picture frame. Can you tell I'm doing uh, an altogether service uh, with all ages in the next service? He holds up a, a picture frame and looks through it and sees what's going on, and it's not a picture any of us would want on our wall. In Isaiah's day, God's people are a mess, and here in Isaiah, he's looking forward a couple of hundred years, and do you know what he sees? God's people are still in a mess. God promised, is not he, a divine warrior to crush sin. Are they nearly there yet? No. 63 verse 17, we're told, why, Lord, do you make us wander from your ways and harden our hearts so we do not revere you? Later on in, in 64, verse 6, we're told all of God's people have become like one who is unclean. Even when they do things that seem to be the right things, God says it's as if you've wrapped me up a present and I open it and it's your bathroom bin. It's not that Those things are not good things. It's because the motive for doing them by God's people is all wrong. They're not really interested in good. They're not interested in loving him with all that they've got, with every part of their lives. And God has promised how nations would be proclaiming how great God is. Are they nearly there yet? No. No. We're told in uh, 63 verse 18, for a little while your people possessed your holy place, but now our enemies have trampled down uh, your sanctuary. Uh, Or or we read on in uh, chapter 64 at the end, your sacred cities have become a wasteland. Even Zion is a wasteland, Jerusalem a desolation, a holy and glorious temple where our ancestors praised you have been burned with fire and all that we treasured lies in ruins. It's speaking of the, the exile of God's people under the Babylonian Empire. And it's as if the place where God's presence was has been smashed up like a children's Lego model. God promised his light and his glory would shine on his people. Are they nearly there yet? No. Look at verse 19 of chapter 63. We are yours from old, but you've not ruled over them. You've not they have not been called by your name. No one, verse 7 of chapter 64, calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you. You've hidden your face from us and have given us over to our sins. Isaiah knows God strong and kind. He knows God's promise. He looks at the reality and he says to God, look and see if we're nowhere near. We're not there yet. But what about us? A few thousand years on from Isaiah. Are we nearly there yet? we're nearer than we were. It says, in Paul writes in Romans chapter 13, verse 11, our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. But let's be honest, we, we look around, are we nearly there yet? No. Well, just look at the world around us. Look at the things that have filled our headlines. I've been slightly baffled and bemused by just the sheer amount of airtime that events surrounding Philip Schofield have taken this week. I don't think any of us can have missed it. And yet it's this very strange story of What's acceptable in our culture and what's not? And it's very confusing. Very confusing. Or or look at the the church in the news again this week. The scandals around safeguarding. Stories of Christian leaders who who fail and fall. We might be, as God's people, not waiting for a physical city to be restored. We understand the promises of the restoration of Jerusalem to be speaking of the heavenly city of the restored creation, of God's new creation. But we're not there yet, are we? We look around and we see, we see all the dreaded deeds. We see decay, we see disease, we experience death and discouragement and depression and doubt and divorce. We look around the world and, and we hear stories, we hear wonderful stories of how people of different nations are proclaiming how great God is. But the research suggests that one in three people in our world are persecuted for their faith. And the greatest majority of those people, what faith are they? They're Christians. Christians are the most persecuted religion in this world. Are the nations proclaiming uh, the praise of God? Well, not yet. Is the light of God shining on us? Or maybe we can point to particular places where it feels like God's spirit is at work and the church is growing and and, and there's wonderful things happening. But broadly speaking, in this country, the picture of Christianity is, is depressing, isn't it? Churches shrinking. In the Church of England, questions about what the future of parishes look like. About whether we can, asking questions about whether we can really trust what Jesus has to say about being the only way to the Father. Or about his teaching about what it really means to live a fulfilled life. About marriage and singleness. We're not there yet. But remember God's character. He's strong and kind. Remember his promises. And so we pray to God for rescue. We join in with Isaiah, chapter 64, verse 1. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Isaiah is praying that that God would literally rip open the heavens and step into history to do like he's done before with his people. When Moses was on top of Mount Sinai and there was fire and there was smoke and the place shook and God made himself known. Isaiah says, God, do it again. Do it again. You are a great big God. You have great big promises. I am praying a great big prayer. And hundreds of years later, we read the beginning of Mark, his account of Jesus' life. Jesus being baptized by John in the river Jordan. Who knows what happens next? Being baptized, what happens next? The Holy Spirit descends like a dove. But there's a very specific detail that that Mark picks up on. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn. He says, he uses that word, torn open, and the Spirit descending on on him like a dove. Jesus is God's answer to Isaiah's prayer. God coming down, making himself known, and doing it in a way that means that people like us can be saved. Because left to our own devices, even the good we do is like giving God the contents of the bathroom bin. But Jesus turns that around because he changes our hearts. He saves us. So do we continue to pray? Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, knowing that in Jesus that's happened. Yes, we do. Because we look around, we're not there yet. Jesus has come once to save and he is going to come again to judge. So in those times where it feels the world is broken, those times when we are grieved by what happens and we are hurting, we pray, oh, that you would rend the heavens. Come down, keep those promises, Lord. The promise of Jesus' return. Remember that prayer at the end of Revelation: "Come, Lord Jesus." It's also a prayer that you would rend the heavens, come down, that Lord, you would come and shape my life, our life together, to be your people. Yet you, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay; you are the Potter. We are the work of your hands. And we pray, oh that you would rend the heavens and come down when we when we remember the people that we spend time with each week who don't yet know Jesus. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down into their lives. That you would transform their lives. That you would save them, forgive them, bring them to be your people. God is strong and kind. He makes wonderful promises. We look around, we're not there yet. And so we pray, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down because since ancient times no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him.